Now they want alternative views for the Holocaust. Let's start the show. We are now the defenders of the stronghold of democracy and of equal opportunity. Episode 130 of the Aggressive Progressive Podcast. I am your host, Chris Hahn. Thank you so much for joining me. I, um, I'm just going to do a quick little rant here about, oh my God, everything going on. But let me start with this Texas school administrator and the Holocaust, because quite frankly, that drove me crazy last week. I talked about it on TV a couple of times. I talked about it on my radio show. I was going to just insert my rant here, but I think it might blow your head off. It's probably better if you're listening to that in the car. And I'll try not to scream as much here because I was so raw uh, when I first saw that story. I, I basically saw that story. I was walking into the radio studio last Thursday night. Uh, and Sarah Burris, by the way, is um, my guest today. And she was on the radio show that night. So she heard some of my passion in that. And it, it, it's in the interview as well. But, I mean, look, uh, those of you who know me know that I'm half Jewish. My father's Jewish. My mother was Catholic. Uh, but my father's side, we were German Jews, are German Jews. And my grandfather and my grandmother both escaped the Holocaust. My grandfather um, particularly watched his family be murdered by the Nazis and his friends be murdered by the Nazis. My grandmother was a little bit younger, doesn't have as vivid, me- didn't have as me- vivid memories uh, as my grandfather did. Um, but still she, she was well aware of what happened and saw many of her family and friends disappear. Um, to suggest that someone should come up with an alternative view of the Holocaust is disturbing to me that anybody would even think in this country, in this day and age, that that was a legitimate thing to ask, let alone someone who teaches in, not just teaches, is an administrator in a public school in the great state of Texas. This is the natural outshoot, offspring, if you will, of these laws in Texas saying, you know, we got to have alternative views for everything. Look, I get it. If there's a hotly debated modern topic that has not become settled history, let's have alternative views. I'm all for that. I think that a good discussion about an issue of the day is an important thing to have. But to think that we need to have alternative views of history, this is coming, you know, pushing back from the entire, you know, the new right wing outrage, which is this critical race theory um, where they're basically saying, well, maybe we shouldn't teach anything that has to do with slavery or Jim Crow or bigotry in this country because it's making people feel bad. No, it's supposed to make you think about what happened so that it doesn't happen again. It's supposed to make you understand that some bad things happened and if good people say and do nothing they can happen again i tie this to all sorts of things on the right uh not just the misinformation on the internet which we've talked about ad nauseum but i talk about you know talk about the misinformation that's particularly targeted towards people on the right that is not necessarily on the internet that's just like a philosophy that they've adopted as a movement in this country, the the replacement theory, and, and really it's the white replacement theory, right? Put that in there, right? This is the natural progression of their fight against critical race theory, their insistence that there is some movement afoot in this country to replace white people 
And now they've changed it to English-speaking people, whatever. I mean, that's where this comes from. Uh, Mike, I, I was appalled when I saw that. I blew my top on the radio. And I'm not going to blow my top here. And I'm going to cut this a little short because I've got a longer interview tonight. Uh, Sarah Burris was the first person to do five segments on my show. I was pre-taping because I was preempted in my live market by hockey, by the NHL, which is back. Uh, And I'm going to be preempted a lot, but I'm not going to do five segments with everybody because, you know, not everybody deserves five segments. But Sarah Burris and I just get along and we have good conversations. Uh, So uh, I like having her on. And uh, she's another one of my friends I've never met. (laughs) It's fantastic. Uh, the way that works in media sometimes. Uh, I've never been in the same room with Sarah. I've uh, been on the radio with her, been on TV with her, done other things with her, talked about, uh, talked with her uh, for stories, but I have never, ever been in the same room with her. So it was a good conversation. Uh, one more point before I go to the interview, though. The Senate will be voting this week uh, on the scaled-down Help America Vote Act, I guess you call it, the the uh, Joe Manchin version of that bill. Um, it's going to get filibustered by the Republicans. And I think it's time for Joe Manchin and others to kind of, you know, wise up. Democracy isn't going to save itself. The Republicans are all over the map trying to fix elections around this country, trying to make it so that, you know, if the legislature doesn't like the result, they can change the result. I can't organize around that. That needs to be stopped, and Congress needs to do it now while they still can. So let's hope that that happens. All right, so take a listen to this interview. It's a great one, and I'll be back to wrap it up right after this. Joining me now, a regular on The Chris Hahn Show, you know her, you love her, Raw Stories editor, Sarah Burris. How you doing? Oh, man, don't be dissing Snapchat. That was my favorite social media site. It's uh, way better than Facebook. Are you a Snapchatter? Uh, not so much anymore, but when I did do it regularly, I really loved it. It was fun and silly. And yeah, and then, I, I and then you turned 30 and you said, yeah, no. Well, now it's just like, oh, I got too much crap to do. I'm take, look, you want to know something weird. Um, Saturday night, I'm taking my daughter to see Harry Styles. In concert, Aww, yeah, that should so be old. should be fun. Harry Styles, uh, so that'll be fun. Uh, I don't know any of his songs. I know the one song from uh, One Direction that kind of crossed over into the adult world of uh, Story of My Life, which I thought was a good song. And I said, "There's no way those guys wrote it." And I looked it up, and they didn't write it. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So I was like, "That's too deep of a song for a boy band." <laughs> they did it on Saturday Night Live Acoustic. It was pretty good. I liked it. Yeah, I I saw that. It was really good. It was beautifully done. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny. Some people know what to do in those situations. Like Lady Gaga, when she went on yeah. Howard Stern, she didn't come in all makeup and her, you know, her crazy outfits. She didn't bring a band. She came in there with a piano, played her songs with just the piano. And it was great. Oh. She got new fans out of it. And I thought they did a good job on Saturday Night Live doing that big hit acoustic i love it when she does that too that she did a poker face acoustic um that i think you can download on itunes it's just amazing i honestly think she's better acoustic i think that i do too i think it you know really her voice it shows off her musical chops yeah right super talented she's extremely classically trained yeah she's extremely talented and it's kind of funny they point to her 
as like the end of rock music, the end of the band, because she basically came out with these songs and it was basically like, you know, you know, a track backing her when she was when she was coming up in the clubs. Yeah, it's true. I remember those days. Very sad. Very, very sad, but I love her. I'm, I'm, I'm a fan, and because she went on Stern and uh, the stuff she did with Tony Bennett, which was a big yeah. story two weeks ago on 60 Minutes. I don't know if you saw it, but all right, that's not why we're here. We're not here to talk <laughs> about pop music and Snapchat and uh, all that other stuff. Uh, we're here to talk about politics because you cover politics in Raw Story, and I know you've been on vacation the last week, but you do live in Washington. Uh, so, we do. We you, have, oh my gosh, we have gone to Mount Vernon. We have done ghost tour. We did the ghost tour in Washington, which I've never done before. Nice. So I now know like all the freaky uh, political people that are haunting around the White House. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know. There's a guy who haunted the White House for, you know, four years. Uh, his name was Steve Bannon. He's kind of ghoulish. And the Congress wants to talk to him. They sent him a subpoena. and He just said no. Uh, what do you think we should do with this man? Well, see, this isn't just Steve Bannon. A bunch of the uh, Trump people who uh, are being subpoenaed are trying to go the, new, the no route. And it's because Donald Trump told them, whatever you do, do not comply with the subpoena. And he wants to take it to court and do this whole, uh, you know, this whole lawsuit that'll go all the way to the Supreme Court. Um, we've decided this, right? This is Nixon versus the, what was it, the GSA? Yep. The, um, and, and it made it pretty clear that, you know, you can declare executive privilege, but if it's a criminal issue, you ain't got nothing. Right, right, right. There's no, there's no way, and there is nothing civil about this. This and, is all criminal. And, and quite frankly, I don't think it should be contempt of Congress. I think they should re- resurrect inherent contempt of Congress, kind of like if you're in regular court and you're held in contempt, you can go to jail that night. Right. Inherent yeah. contempt of Congress, which they used to use all the time and they stopped using it in like the late 1920s. Um, you know, if Congress called you in for a subpoena, and you didn't show up. They sent the marshals to go get you. And I think we should be sending the marshals to go get this guy, bring him into Congress. If he doesn't want to testify, throw him in jail till he's ready. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there there is a jail downstairs in, in Congress uh, for exactly this purpose. And I don't know if they like dust off the sheets or what they do, but, um, you know, I, they could go that route or they could just throw him in the, the, the federal prison and in Virginia, I think that would be certainly change him around a little bit. um, It's amazing to me that look, I mean, Donald Trump's a guy who got elected by promises, promising his supporters that he was going to build a wall and have Mexico pay for it. Steve Bannon, who was in the Trump administration for a year or so, left that administration, started a fake charity, which robbed Trump supporters of their money by saying that they were going to pay to build the wall. Steve Bannon, you know, built some boats and some other things for himself, but he didn't build any wall with that money. Donald Trump pardoned him after he was arrested by Trump's own Justice Department for that scam. Um, And now he's just going to just say, no, you know, subpoena, not for me. Which is just unacceptable, uh, especially whenever it comes to Congress. Uh, there's been an argument, I feel like, on, on Twitter about whether it should be contempt of Congress or if Congress should get the DOJ involved. Uh, and I understand why 
folks would want the weight of the DOJ behind it. But Congress is its own branch of government, and they're an equal branch of yep. government to the judiciary and the executive. And so they need to, like, you know, grow a pair. Right? Yeah. Like they need to get their stuff together and be willing to take those massive steps and throw somebody in uh, in the cage in the basement. What do you think in- the hesitancy is in Congress to do? I mean, I have my own ideas. I'd like to hear what you think. You know, I really don't know. I hadn't. I, I it, maybe it just doesn't look. They think it doesn't get, look good politically, but I don't understand why. I, I think they think it's banana republicy, right? Like we're going to start arresting each other now. We're going to start locking each other up. Um, you know. Well, then comply with the damn subpoena. Well, that's this it's is the pro- this is the problem, right? He could come to Congress and just claim the fifth. He doesn't have to yeah, testify. Absolutely. I'll take the fifth. I'll take the fifth. I mean, he could do that. Why? I mean, you know, mobsters comply with their subpoenas to Congress. Yeah. Why is this guy not? I mean, I don't understand. I think it's because they honestly believe that they're above the law. And clearly, Steve Bannon, up until this point, he has been above the law. He has done all of these horrible, illegal things, and he's gotten a pass on everything. Uh, His friends aren't getting a pass, if you notice that. The folks who uh, were involved with the wall charity. Yeah, they didn't get they didn't get pardoned. No, Trump needed Steve Bannon around. Yeah, to help to help him try to steal the election. Frankly, I mean that's really what it was. Yep. So this is one of those things where I feel like the uh, uh, Congress really needs to step in. Of all people, of all people, surely we can all agree on Steve Bannon, right? I feel like the country can bring. We can all come together around the fact that nobody likes Steve. I mean, he's the sleazy guy who yeah. stole from people who probably didn't have a lot of money to give him. Yep. And I don't understand why those people aren't like, don't have their pitchforks and torches out for the guy. I don't understand why those same people who he stole from are still support. They're cheering him at the Trump rally in Virginia this weekend. Yep. Oh man, that just breaks my heart. They're, Cause you're right. There are people who, a lot of the folks who, you know, give money to Trump's campaigns and to uh, these far right causes. They're people who don't have a lot of money. And I just it's so frustrating because, you know, I you just they're getting built for for everything and they deserve better. Uh, granted, the entire state of Virginia also does, deserves better. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I'm surprised like he he actually got, you know, a crowd of people. I just. You don't, I don't really expect that. Well, actually they were in Iowa this weekend. It was Virginia, like it was two weeks ago. Uh, but yeah, oh, gotcha. yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm confusing my Trump rallies. You know, I, I, I try not to pay attention to them. I don't watch them anymore, but the fact that they're still going on and that, that, you know, they're getting some coverage on C-SPAN of all places. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it sickens, it sickens me, Sarah. I mean, I don't. I, look, but that that said, I think Trump's numbers have rebounded primarily because he is not in the limelight every day. If this man was yeah, on exactly if he was on Twitter still, I think we uh, we might have different numbers from him. Let's talk a little bit about Virginia. Let's talk a little bit about the Trump rallies. Both uh, you were right. There was a rally in Virginia earlier this week, and then there was also a rally in Iowa. I, I don't think that the Virginia rally is a good idea, frankly, for Republicans in Virginia. Uh, but Trump saying that his people shouldn't vote, uh, that is interesting to me. I, I've been on a lot of campaigns, Sarah. I've never been on one campaign where my opponent's strategy was the don't vote strategy. 
I think this is probably the most important message that should be broadcast to Republicans everywhere is that if they um, if they participate in the election, then they're obviously buying into the system that they obviously oppose. So there's yeah. no reason for this to vote. Right, right. <laughs> you're buying into the big lie. I mean, exactly. well, you're buying into uh, the, the, the steal. You're supporting the steal. There you go. There's a slogan. Don't support the steal. Stay home. Don't vote. Donald Trump approves this message. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's like, and I don't understand why we don't have more people pushing that message out. I, I uh, mean, it should be pushed out broadly. De- I mean, Democrats should be starting, you know, dark money organizations that are targeting Republicans with that message right now. Like that should be the message. Just don't vote. They'll win every level of government. Yeah, I, I, exactly. And I think, too, um, there's an argument for if Republicans want to show off their value and how uh, and how how they've been taken advantage of, you know, by Republicans who pretend to placate to them and then do their own thing, then this is the perfect way to hand it to all of those Trump hating Republicans. Right. So, there you go. There you go. I mean, you are right on the money here. Uh, and I don't I don't get it. Look, I, I know that Democrats they like to run issues campaigns, but they're, you know, to quote Bill Maher, they're living in a fantasy world. Nobody yeah. cares about the issues anymore. Uh, it's, the, it, it's sad. It's scary. We live in a, you know, maybe we are living in the end times. I don't think so. I think we'll get through this. It, it might, it might not be in our lifetime, but we'll get through it. Um, maybe your lifetime. You're a little younger than me. Um, but it's, it's scared and it's, it's scary to me. Uh, but issues don't matter. We've got to like figure out ways to get our vote out and keep their vote home. And that's the only thing that's really going to matter. And given all the suppression techniques they put on us, and you know, they're giving us a gift of yeah. maybe counterbalancing some of their own suppression in some states uh, by, by saying, telling their voters not to vote. Exactly. Uh, I think too, there's uh, the thing about Democrats is they are so issue focused and it's so frustrating. I used to do, I used to run campaigns. I used to work on campaigns uh, for Democrats. And it's really frustrating because all of these voters are like, I'm going to need your 70 point plan on how you're going to change whatever over the course of 10 years. And you're just like, dude, the guy that we're running against believes that you should be forced to carry a fetus in the case of a rape so that you can heal. Right. Like, like this is this is not the time to be talking about a seven point plan for. Right. And and the guy we're running against believes that there should be an alternative view taught about the Holocaust. Yeah. And and it's so frustrating because I get why, you know, people who are glued to politics and think about this stuff all the time and want to talk about issues and, uh, you know, paid college for everybody and all of these policies that Democrats really, really want and that would make our country so much better. But right now, we're just trying to, you know, keep the dam from breaking. We just got here's what here's the criteria you should be looking at. Do you believe in democracy? Because I'm yeah. running against a guy who would be perfectly okay with fascism. Now, I don't understand it. Like I see Chuck Grassley getting taking the endorsement from Donald Trump and Chuck Grassley pretty much rebuked Donald Trump back in February, right after the uh, January 6th insurrection. 
Uh, you know, he's 88 years old, but he, but here's, he should know this cause he, he's lived through, uh, world war two, I believe at 88 years old. Fascists don't care that you're a Senator Chuck. Yeah. You know, they don't care that Chuck Grassley's a Senator. They, he's the, he's the fascist. He's the fascist leader. He'll do what he wants to do. He fascism doesn't, you know, really work with capitalism either. What's interesting, too, is I don't know if you watched that speech, but the the way that Chuck Grassley talked about Donald Trump is he was like, you know, the guy who runs the the uh, Republican Party, who is the you know strongest person behind the GOP, and he wants to come here and endorse me. And I'm like, OK, yeah, I mean, that's not really a solid endorsement for Donald Trump. No, like that's not, that doesn't really sound that supportive to me. And, uh, you know, it. it the way that he said it, it just seemed like he was really parsing words and he was just like, I don't really care about this guy. I don't want to be standing next to him. But if, but, if but he did. But he did. Care. And they make that 88 year old man wait like 70 minutes into Donald Trump's speech before he brings him up for like a minute. And then he throws him yeah. off the stage. I mean, that's kind of crazy, right? I, I you just got to wonder if the dude had like a cot was taking a nap in the back because that. And it, what's funny about Trump's speeches, that one in particular, uh, he, he pretty much was the one where he basically admitted that uh, the reason he talks about the big lie so much is because it gets such good applause. Yeah. Oh, it gets great applause. It gets great applause, Sarah. I like talking <laughs> to people who applaud me. And the big lie is my biggest applause line. So I'm going to say it over and over again because I'm really, really empty inside and I need that. <laughs> I need that applause. I need to feel loved. Don't you understand, Sarah? <laughs> I can't go on Pornhub anymore because somebody wrote an article about how they're tracking me. <laughs> so I can't go on anymore. So the only way I could feel loved is by talking to people who hate me. Who I hate. I, I'm sorry. I hate them. They love me. <laughs> sorry. He's, he's so sad. <laughs> he's so sad. sad I'm getting that I'm getting that impression down. I really am. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's working. I mean, I don't want him to run for president again. I quite frankly think that all of this talk about the big lie is his out, right? I, I and let's talk about this, you know, in a minute because I might have to go to a break here. Um I feel it's his out. I think that at some point in a year, he'll say, I'm not running again because the Republicans didn't fix, you know, all the problems with the elections. And I'm not going to allow myself to get my election stolen, which is a big problem for Republicans because then nobody will come out to vote, right? None of these Trump voters will come out to vote. So it's a, I think it's an out. So I don't know. I, you know, I you could, that actually makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought about it that way, but it absolutely makes sense. And I, I figured that he was going to ride this wave as long as he could because he needs the money. Yeah. Uh, still going to raise money. And he kind of alludes to that whenever he talks to people. He's like, well, I can't say whether or not I'm running right now for campaign finance reasons. And it's like, no, actually, you can't. Yeah, you, you sure can. can. You could say you're running right now. <laughs> yeah, it's just that you, that means you can't raise money into your super PAC. Right. And that might, might be what you're talking about. But if you want to... You know, if you want to run again, you right. Can and by the way, a lot easier to raise money to the super PAC. He could do a lot more with that money. So why actually yep. run? I mean, go right up to the line and then don't run. I I just think that that's where we're going with this guy. I think that he's going to have an out. 
And that out is going to, I mean, all these Republicans who are, you know, sucking on his, you know what, they better be careful because he's going to pull it away from them. And he's, it's not, they don't have much left. Maybe Donald Trump is looking for an out. And I think he is because frankly, I don't think he wants to be president again. I mean, maybe he does, but I don't know. I think he likes raising money and having rallies. He's also an old man, right? He's 70. What is he? 78 now. Um, he'll be 78, I guess, uh, in 2024. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like the scam is, is better than the actual, you know, doing the work. Well, it's kind of like the musical, the producers, right? You're going to make more money with a flop than with a hit. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you read through a bunch of the books that are being published, I've had to read all of these, you know, everything from the Woodward book to, uh, Omarosa's book and like everybody's stupid books. And the one thing that is consistent is they, they talk about how he didn't really want to win. That right. All of this is a big plot to just build his name recognition, build his business and make more money. And so when they, when he actually did win, everybody was just like, oh, crap. They were shocked. Yeah. They were shocked. It's, like I said, like we were talking about earlier, issues don't matter anymore. Have a good slogan. Get your people out to vote and you might win. That's it. And lie to, their, lie to their faces about everything that you're going to do and then blame other people whenever you actually can't accomplish anything. Oh, and make the other side think you're a joke so they don't even bother showing up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's really part of what happened. You know, yeah. you're that, I mean, I don't know if they did it intentionally, but that's what they did. And it worked. And he was yeah. president. And it's freaking scary. Every time I think about that guy... You know, I was asked on television the other day by a conservative. They're like, come on, Chris, you really want him to run again. It, he was good for your career. I go, I don't care if he was good for my career. He was bad for America. He was yeah. bad. We might not have a country again. That guy gets elected president again. I don't know what happens in this country. I feel like we're going to lose a heck of a lot of money if we have no no country anymore. And I would be, I'm more concerned about the long term of the country that I am about, you know, any websites getting extra clicks. Yeah, me too. I, I have a, you know, I like having the U S dollar being the world reserve currency. I think that keeps our currency, uh, pretty valuable. It's hard currency around the world. It is the reserve currency. Everybody wants U S dollars. You know, if they let this debt ceiling thing, you know, kill us, that won't be the case anymore. We, it'll be the Euro. It'll be some more stable currency. Yeah, I'm so sick of this whole debt ceiling thing. I don't know why we don't just raise the debt ceiling so high that it's just an absurd number. Like, or get rid of it altogether. We're one of only three countries that have it. <laughs> why do we have it? It's a stupid thing. You know what it was? I'll tell you why we have it. There were isolationists. I don't know if it was World War One or World War Two, And they were the isolationists made an argument that... Well, we're going to spend too much money. We're going to increase the debt. Our kids are going to have to pay the same arguments conservatives make today about debt. Yeah. And they didn't want us getting involved with either World War One or World War Two. So the compromise was, well, we'll put a cap on how much debt we'll have. And that's, that's what happened. And that's how we got a debt ceiling. It was in the 1920s. This is not something that happened in like 1776. It's the 1920s or the 1930s when this happened. It, it's, it's, a, it's a sad, 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 sad thing. And it's left us with, you know, people who can literally cripple our economy just by being cantankerous. Yeah. I mean, Kristen Cinema has decided that she's going to Europe now <laughs> when, when she should be working with everybody else. She's just like, mm, I'm done with you people. She ran the Boston Marathon on Monday. <laughs> I just, I don't understand why 
she bothers. Like if you're if you're not going to actually do your job in the Senate, then why are you in the Senate? Sarah, I'll tell you, I know her. Okay, I used to know her. I don't know her anymore. I met her like 12 years ago when she was a state senator in Arizona and she was running for the House of Representatives. We were in a think tank together. And she was uh, the most liberal person there. I in a group of liberals. It was it wasn't you know it was like this group of liberals that get together to talk about issues. And she was the most liberal person there. I thought she was wacky. I remember saying to a friend of mine, I don't think she could get elected to the House of Representatives in Arizona, even in it was like a, a moderate Democratic seat that she was running for. And I, 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 I can't believe this is what she's become. I mean, she was wacky. Get, don't get me wrong. She was wacky even then. But, uh, but I, you know, I just thought she was wacky in a kind of liberal way. It, it's, it's strange. And now she's just insane. Yeah, it's like I don't I don't get her whole thing. It's like she's she's almost as much of a nihilist as some of these Republicans. Yeah, and that's the thing that's killing me is that, you know, you have people like Mark Kelly who is just a rock star trying to basically take care of the entire state of Arizona so she can go gallivant off and she's you know, go to spas that with donors. Yeah. She's not going to get reelected to the Senate. I got news for you. She's going to get primary. She's going to lose a primary. And the Democrat's going to win that seat anyway. I don't care who the Democrat is. She should get primaried. She will lose the primary. And and that's it for her. She could go, you know, be, she'll be like uh, on The View or something. I, you know, she'll, she'll have a job like that. And that's what she should be doing, frankly. Man, I don't even know if she could get on The View because after. Maybe she'll get on The Talk or The Chew or one of those other lesser views. <laughs> Yeah, because after those people dealing with Megan McCain, I don't think that they're ever going to want to try and get somebody quirky ever again. She's extremely quirky, and I don't, I just don't, I don't Not get her. Good way. Not in a cute, like, fun way. No. And I feel like that's what she was trying to do, and now it's just like, well, you can't be cute and quirky when you're destroying people's lives. You absolutely cannot. Just a thought. And, 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 you know, when there are other people who are working really hard to try to come to a compromise and you're one of the stones in in between the compromise, you got to show up, you got to show up or just go along with everybody else. Go along with your, you know, fellow Senator from your home state. I kind of almost get what Joe Manchin's coming from because he comes from West freaking Virginia where, you know, they, they went 70, almost 70% for Trump. She's from Arizona. Trump lost Arizona. The last two, you know, Democrats are winning in Arizona now. It's over. It's not even a, I don't even think it's a purple state. I think it's a blue state. And I think we'll find that out very soon. Uh, But it's very strange to me. Yeah. And I, the thing about a a U.S. Senator is, and and I would say, you know, any, any elected official, constituent services is probably the most important thing that you can do as an elected official. Yeah. As you well know from working in, in Senate offices. So it's, I take it very, very seriously. And anybody who is not, you know, stepping up to help their people and instead is in it for themselves, it's just like, no, 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 no. You got to show up if you're a senator. That's the rule. My good friend, Sarah Burris, my good friend who I've never met. I always like to say that I never met you. And we are, I feel like we're good friends. I feel like, I feel like we have, uh, right. We have this. I know. I, I know your puppy, what your puppies look like. Yeah. You know, what, how awesome your fam is. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like we've, we've had these great conversations on the radio. We sometimes talk offline about issues. Uh, when I was trying to, when I was a struggling Twitter person, you were one of the first people to retweet me. 
Uh, and I always appreciate that. Um, I'm not struggling there anymore, by the way. I'm almost like, I'm at like 64,000 now, which is like very respectable. <laughs> so it's not, it, I probably for the amount of television I've done, I probably should have a million followers. But, uh, remember I was a liberal in conservative media for most of my career. So, uh, that doesn't help. <laughs> So, I feel like if I actually spent time trying to get more Twitter followers, that it might that might help. I but. think you would because that's how I got it. I basically just put the, I put in the work for like three months. I don't feel like putting the work in anymore. I just tweet like four or five times a day, and I retweet a bunch of people who I'm in a bunch of groups, and I retweet a lot of the people in the groups, and uh, and they retweet me when I tweet. And I'm I'm not doing twenty tweets a day anymore. I'm doing like three or four. Whenever I get a thought in my head, I pop on there and I I tweet something. So let's talk for a minute. You know, one of the things I just tweeted right before I came on the air, I read uh, an article about Texas Republicans in some you know small part of Texas insisting that when the Holocaust is ta- taught in public schools, that an alternative view be taught. Now, um, I don't know about you. Uh, you know, I'm half Jewish. My, my, my grandparents escaped the Holocaust. They were German Jews. And uh, watched their entire family die, pretty much. Most of their friends die, murdered by the Nazis. I don't really think that there's an opposing view to that. And I don't, un- I don't understand how the Republicans, uh, you know, can embrace this kind of nonsense. This and like the white replacement theory and all this other stuff. They've basically, in the last year or so, abandoned any even facade of not being racists. I don't understand how they can pretend to be so loyal to Israel while denying the Holocaust. The Holocaust. I, and, and I don't understand why Israeli leaders, you know, like Netanyahu, aren't stepping in and being like, um, excuse me, you guys purport to support my party in Israel and my people, and yet you're denying the entire, you know, reason that we have Israel now. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because I was actually talking about how this is the, the next logical step to critical race theory, that whole, you know, making up this idea of, Oh, we can't teach Martin Luther King anymore because, you know, we have to be nice to racists, Right. And I, and it was like, of course, of course, this is the next step. They're going to now say, Oh, well, we can't offend Nazis. Right. God forbid. Right. We can't offend Nazis or, you know, people who support the Confederacy or, you know, people who, well, you know, this guy's ancestors owned slaves. And, you know, uh, are you kidding me? I, I don't know. I, 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 I it's disgusting to me. Oh, it's terrible. And it's, um, it's the dumbing down of America as mm. well. I, feel like one of the major things that Republicans don't like to do is they don't like to fund education and they don't like to teach civics and they don't like, you know, people to know a lot of this information because they want to then be able to reuse some of the historic things that, that crazy people have done to regain power. And if you have an entire country that's extremely well-educated, knows about the crazy things that fascists have done and they they can recognize the signs of fascism, then they're not going to support the Republican Party. Right. Right. I I am I am I am blown. I they they look the problem for them is uh they feel that they can't go against these races because they're their base. But yeah. what drives me a little bit batty 
is why are so many Latinos voting Republican in places like Florida and Texas and even North Carolina? I I don't understand it. Like, this is a group of people who believe in white replacement theory, which is some weird thing that was developed in France that makes no sense at all. That really is just, it's not, it, it makes sense. It's just complete racism. It's like, well, these people, they don't speak English or they're not white. They're, you know, they're going to take your place. How are these people voting for Republicans? I, there are actually a couple of ideas that I have about this. The The one thing is during the, the 2020 campaign, I think the Democrats, saw the writing on the wall and they knew that they weren't going to win Florida. So when it, you talk about like South Florida and the Cuban population there, Trump's people were the only ones who were doing Spanish language. Yeah. Uh, targeting to that. And at the same time, because they came, they come from a world of, you know, crazy communism and socialism. And, and um, cause I think there are some, there's a good Venezuelan community there. So they, they tend to turn much more to the right. Right. Uh, South Texas, the the growing population of Latino people there are not necessarily Mexican, because Mexican tends to be, um, you know, a little bit more democratic. But the the Central American community that is from you know super corrupt government, uh, I think that that maybe is a reason that they're turning to the right. Mm. Uh, at the same time, Democrats are not doing Spanish language ads down there. Like we, uh, we, we got to do a better job at that. Right. I mean, we've got to yeah. start pointing out that these are the guys who are worried that you're replacing them. Like they don't want you here and you're voting for them. And it's so important for the long term. Uh, health of the, of the democratic party to be reaching out to these folks. Cause yeah, we're not going to win Texas you know, today or tomorrow or next week, but it's going to be a couple of years down the line. I think and we can win. I think we can win Texas right now if we can organize around uh, all of their voter suppression, if we can encourage Republicans to stay home because the vote's going to get stolen anyway. Uh, and if we, you know, and and if we really, really push in those Latino communities, I think the party has done a poor job uh, you know, Beto O'Rourke came within a point of winning. Yeah. Now, granted, he was running against the most unpopular person on the planet uh, in Ted Cruz. Even people who voted for him didn't like him. Um, but I think every day uh, Texas gets more Democrat. I, I, first of all, I love going to Texas. I don't understand how Texas is such a crazy place. So, Sarah, you know, I, I am I am not as panicked as most Democrats, right? I I. Well, I, I think we're going to work really hard. We're going to figure this out. And and there could be some problems. I think the midterms are going to be a disaster. I think we're going to lose the House. Unless Republicans don't vote because Donald Trump told them not to vote. It's just, I, I've i been thinking about this all week. I'm like, how does anybody tell people not to vote? Like, that just, that's crazy. Um, and, and it is very possible that this guy is so narcissistic that he's going to tell people not to vote next year. I, I, I just, I could see it happening. Um, I, I don't know though. I'm not as worried as some people are. A lot of people are, you know, running around with their hair on fire. I'm not. A- am I wrong? <laughs> you don't have any hair. That, uh, well, that's true. I don't. <laughs> Maybe that's part of the problem. I actually think that it will all come down to the Supreme Court and what the Supreme Court decides in the Mississippi case. If they overturn Roe, 
I think Democrats are going to come out in droves, particularly women. And I think women, like independent women, you know, middle of the road women, um, I think they're going to come out. How could they not turn overturn Roe? I mean, all these people, these six conservative judges were put on that court for that sole purpose. It has been a decades long commitment by the right wing in this country. They have stayed out of the way of you know, moderate Republicans like George W. Bush and George Herbert Walker Bush even. And and here they are. Now they've got the opportunity to overturn it. How could they not? Yeah. And uh, what is so disappointing is, uh, you know, these are this is probably one of the most corrupt courts that we've ever seen. Yeah, definitely. And it's so frustrating. And I you know, Biden did the the research on whether they needed to expand the court. And uh, and I, you know, at this point, I'm just like, whatever it's going to take. They just but came I, back today at like like five o'clock. I, I didn't read the report yet. But what I understand is that there is some recommendations to expand the court, phase in term limits, things like that. Yeah. And I, I am all for term limits because this is just irresponsible at this point. And, but I think too, I haven't read the report either yet because we were at Mount Vernon today. Um, But the, the idea of like, there's no reason that you or anyone in your immediate family should be taking money from anybody, from any company. There is no reason that you should be paid for speeches as a public servant. Um, I mean, it's just, there's so much corruption. Uh, I, there's, we need to have proceedings on television, on radio. Americans need to have access. There needs to be more transparency. Yeah. To be able to see what is happening. And I, which I think too, will get more people to follow the court and what is being decided and see what those arguments are. And, and it's so frustrating because the, the, all of these conservative justices are just walking around, you know, being triggered by this idea that, you know, that we would have these bad opinions of them. And it's like, well, what the hell did you think? Yeah. You were, you were terrible. You were horrible. You you basically allowed a law that puts a bounty on women's head to go into effect without even having an argument. I, I, I don't, I don't get it. I really just, I look, Roe is gone. Right. We should we should just kiss it goodbye. It is gone. This court. I mean, whatever's going to whatever's left of it, the Republicans will say it's not gone. It's gone. They are going to gut it to, you know, all that's going to be left is head and bones. And I don't I it's not going to be here. So, I, you know, the question is, is that going to rally women? I think it will. But I don't know. I You know, I really do think it will. I think this is the just based on on seeing some of the rallies around the country, seeing those pictures and that footage. Mm. Uh, you know, I I'm not I as a reporter, like I can cover this stuff, but I'm not. I can't go to a rally and hold up a protest sign, right? And you know, I'm I am heartened by the fact that there are people who have never been involved before, people who. Uh, you know, who who do not ab- absolutely do not believe in abortion, but believe in a woman's right to choose. And there is a difference. And a lot of the far right don't want to talk about that. They don't want to explain to, you know, pro-life women that you can be pro-life and pro-choice, but you cannot be um, pro-choice and anti-choice. Right. And 
And it's a, it's a very nuanced conversation. No, it told you're absolutely right. Like I am pro-choice and I am pro-life. I I don't want people to have an abortion, but I am Nobody also a, I'm an, I'm a man. It is not my choice. It's somebody, it's, I mean, yeah. Nobody wakes up every day and is like, ah, oh, gee, I'll th- I think I'll have an abortion today. Right. To it's, it's the right. worst choice anybody's ever have to make. Yeah. Right? Okay. Other than Melania, should I marry this guy? But it right. is a horrible choice. And it's, and, a, you know, the state shouldn't be involved with it. It shouldn't. I mean, and that is the one thing that I feel like Hillary Clinton really, really did well is is be able to articulate that in the 90s uh, to uh, the whole country to people who never really understood it that way before and we have lost that argument we instead we're getting bogged down with this like whole heartbeat bs yeah like you know when do babies grow fingers which i mean there's so many misunderstood facts that that the right wing are trying to promote as science that are just flat out lies. And they don't even know, like Charlie Kirk was on some comedian show and he held up a picture and said, you mean to tell me without any doubt that this is a human life? And he said, yes. He goes, that is a dolphin embryo. (laughs) It was just great. It's like, shut up, Charlie Kirk. Give me a break. (laughs) It's so, because it's like, my argument is always, well, if, it is a live being, then why can't it live outside my body? Right. If right. If it is alive, then it would be able to live. By the way, the Bible, the Bible itself says, at your first breath. Yeah. Right? It doesn't say at your first heartbeat in the womb. It says at your first breath. You don't take a breath in the womb. You know, it, it, this, this whole, I mean, this radicalized Christianity it's so unappealing. It's so unchristlike. It's, it's Christian nationalism, and it's not even Christian. That's the thing. Yeah, this, this evangelical sort of uh, twist of their own interpretation of Christianity, because nobody, you know, being being an actual Christian means that you have to care about other people and care about the poor, and uh, you know, take care of of children and orphans and all of these things that you know, Republicans don't want to do. Yeah, they it's horrible. more about children and the, you know, a fetus in the womb than they do about children. It's they, Yeah, they, they care more about the fetus than they do about the live child. All right, Sarah, five segments went too fast. <laughs> Next time you're in New York, you got to just come into the studio and do the whole show. I mean, we'll take calls. We'll do the whole thing. Uh, but you're fantastic. I want you to tell people where they could find you, what they want you, what the, what you want them to know about you. You can find me at, at Sarah Burris on Twitter. Uh, I, I've been on, uh, off, off of work and off Twitter for a while because I've had friends in town. But I promise I'll be back and I will tweet quips, you know, funny quips and bad puns. And lots of news from Raw Story. Sarah Burris, you are the best. Thank you so much for joining me. We'll get you back here real soon. All right. I hope you enjoyed Sarah Burris. She's always fun. Check her out. Check out Raw Story. Great stuff. So, um, you know, I just want to close tonight by saying, um, I don't know. I, I think our elected officials in this country need to, I don't like term limits. Anybody who knows me knows I, I think we have, you know, voting for that. 
And I think that if we were able to fix campaign finance in this country so that everybody has the same amount, um, we probably would have more turnover in government. But I'm watching Charles Grassley last week kiss Trump's butt, and I talked about this a little bit with Sarah. I, I don't get it. He's 88 years old. If he wins and he survives for you know the six years of his term, it makes him 94. I, I, I've, I'm, I'm in my 40s. I've already talked to my financial advisor. I want to retire as soon as possible. I want to like go skiing, maybe do an Ironman. I want to still be healthy. What is it about these people that they are so afraid of their own mortality? They are so afraid of not, you know, I don't know, not being at the top of the heap, so afraid of, of not being in the mix. I don't know, you're a former senator is a kind of cool thing too. Go out, write a book, serve on a couple boards, relax, go on vacation. I don't get it. And it, it, by the way, it's not just Grassley. Uh, we could say that about a lot of people in the Democratic Party. Dianne Feinstein, obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg held on too long. Stephen Breyer is holding on too long now. I, I don't I don't understand the whole point. I think, you know, 80, I think that's enough. I, I'm not an ageist. I mean, maybe if you got involved in your 60s, late 60s, and you wanted to keep going, I, I don't even get that. I, I There are too many boomers, in my opinion, running this country still. I'm a Gen Xer. We had one president. We don't have enough people in Congress, I don't believe, between two Gen Xers. And they battle it out. And then, you know, they can be president for eight years and then we could turn it over to the millennials and they'll ruin everything. No, you won't ruin it. Hopefully you won't ruin anything. Uh, that's just my my two cents on this. I, I'm watching this guy who clearly doesn't like Donald Trump accepting his endorsement last week. Ugh, made me sick. He's got to stoop that low at this point in his life. He's been in the Senate as long as I've been alive. And he is going to stoop that low at this point in his life. How about this? How about you get up on that stage and you tell the truth about what you really think about the guy and then you go out with a bang? I'd like that. And then you drop the mic. You say, I'm retiring. See you later, sucker. I'm done. Nobody wants to retire anymore. Well, I want to end this show. I'm sorry it's you know a little shorter, at least on my you know uh, fresh content today. My, my, my laptop stinks. I got to get a new one. But I want to remind you now, as I always do, to seek the truth. Question everyone and everything, even me. Seek the truth. I know it's out there. And I know you'll find it if you look for it. And I'll be back here again next week to tell you the truth as I see it. I'm Chris Hahn. Thanks for listening to the Aggressive Progressive Podcast.